Welcome to another episode of the Loving Life After Loss podcast. I am your host, Marie Alessi. All right. Good morning, everybody. I am so excited to have Dr. Nicole Grohl with me this morning. Hello, hello. <laughs> Welcome to Loving Life After Loss. I have to share a couple of things before I get uh, Nicole to introduce herself. So Nicole and I uh, met through a common mentoring group, I believe. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but that's where our whole journey, uh, our paths crossed. And I came across your group and I will ask you in a moment to share a little bit about your group as well. I've got a billion questions for you today. I'll try <laughs> to keep it structural. And I was just absolutely impressed with who you are and what you do. And one comment that you made on a particular post really made me reach out to you and I said, I need you to come here and talk to my audience. I will get to that comment, but before I do, can you please introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, everybody. It's such a pleasure to be here. And thank you, Marie, for having me along. I love your tribe as well. And uh, what you're about, it's, it's such a potent topic. Um, so I'm Dr. Nicole Gruel over in Sydney, Australia. Uh, my background is in transpersonal psychology or spiritual psychology. And uh, I spend my days talking with people about their life-changing spiritual experiences, pleasant, unpleasant, mm. and um, how on earth they've integrated them, what they want to do with them, have gifts come about as a result of them, and how do they get their gumboots on and be mm. the change they want to be in the world. I love it. I love it. Um, so tell us a little bit more about your doctor. How I have never heard about this before till you mentioned it because I said, what's your doctorate? And I was like, wow, I've never actually heard that you can study that. Can you share a little bit about that? And yeah, what I never knew that either. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I was so glad when I found a name for what I, you know, I was like, yeah. oh, that's a term for me. I have a, I have a home. <laughs> Um, I guess the quick way of saying it is, you know, when I was a kid, um, Deepak Chopra was like my hero. He was this mm. doctor who was talking about things that really made sense to me. He was articulating my world in many ways. And I thought, wow, something, I think that planted a seed somewhere deep in mm. me that you can have a, you know, an authority title such yeah. as, you know, being a doctor, but use that in a way to validate people's spiritual experiences. That was the key for me. I love that. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. So, I mean, that has been the story of my life that I've had numerous types of these experiences and we're, we're going to get into some of those, but those yeah. have really shaped who I am, how I walk the world, my relationships with people, uh, what I feel I'm here to do as well. And so um, I, I just wanted a way to really put that into a way that society, because you have to play the game on some level, so a way that yeah. society can recognise and go, oh, okay, so this person isn't a total nut job, um, <laughs> you know, because often yeah. the scary thing is actually when people are talking about visions or they hear things or, you know, some of these mm. direct experiences that folks have, yeah. the reality of the world that we live in today is you can end up with labels and med medicalized yeah. so um i mean it, it's kind of funny but it's not you know so mm. when you can actually speak about it from a very grounded place yeah. and as an experiencer you know what i feel it does is just give more space for people who are having the experiences to bring them forward and say me too yeah yeah exactly 
Exactly. And, and I've noticed that a lot when I spoke out about things, in particular in my group, you know, loving life after loss, where, where you know, at first I thought I can't possibly say, come on, be happy after you lost someone. And, and it's not that in a nutshell that I would ever address it that way. But this is, you know, in a nutshell, my message that I want people to be able to allow love and joy and happiness back into their lives after having experienced a significant loss. And it's all about like, how do you actually translate that? And how do you say it in a way that people don't feel put off or scared off? But actually, it's like this opening door that, that I always call it, you know, you open a door, you don't rush people in, you don't push people in, you know, you don't pull them in, you just open the door and let them experience it. And I think it's so, so beautiful the way you do that. You do that in a really natural and beautiful way. And I love that. And, and also that you say, you know, finding names for it is really important because uh, society does tend to need a couple of labels and as much as I don't like them sometimes they do help in naming things and understanding things so um if you don't mind me jumping right into that yeah would you like to tell us about the experience that you shared with me that you had at the age of 12 I believe is that right yeah 14 14 oh 14 sorry and, and you're absolutely right on that too you know Death and spirituality are like these two taboo areas that mm. modern society just doesn't want to touch or talk about. And yet yeah. they happen. Mm. <laughs> they happen to yep. everybody, you yes. know, um, on some mm. degree or some level, whether we use that term spirituality or not. Yeah. Um, so my first experience um, at 14, we were whitewater rafting over in New Zealand. Mm. Um, and forgive me, New Zealanders, any of you watching, I can never remember the name of where we were, but you'll know it. It's a 10 meter drop mm. that kind of goes wow. across this crazy river and just drops down 10 meters. It's a pretty famous fall. So we went it's down in Wellington probably probably yeah yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and so we went down the first time had an awesome time and went let's do that again it was so you know the adrenaline that comes yeah. from these types of things let's do it again mm-hmm. so we went the second time this time the boat tipped and I flew out of the boat I'm not sure what happened to the others whether they mm. were out of the boat or not there was my friend and two instructors and I grew up a swimmer so I had a swimmer's response I just you know put my arms up yeah. to swim right yeah but what happens when you do that and you have 10 meters of waterfall pounding down is it just goes like this and pushes yeah. down right yeah. so <clears throat> I got pushed very deep very fast mm. and all around me I had my eyes open and the water was black mm. and I did not know which way was up or down so mm. there was no point in even trying to swim right so I, mm. I surrendered to that moment <clears throat> and then I was filled with sheer panic Mm. I I knew this is my last breath that was the Mm. thought and then straight away I was filled with total calm just as as fast as that from sheer panic to calm something just switched Mm. and in the black water all around me again with eyes wide open in black water a horizon of light opened up and for those of you that have seen the movie Ghost, it's like that scene where the, the reun, reun, reunification happens with yeah. Sally and, and Molly, is it? Mm-hmm. With Sam and Molly. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> it was exactly like that, the horizon of light. And walking towards me in that horizon of light was my samurai grandmother. So my mm-hmm. maternal grandma, mm-hmm. who at the time was actually living. And I've only met one other person who's uh, met a living relative in their near-death experience, so mm-hmm. I know it does happen to others, Yeah, not so common, and my first dog, um, a pet, which was like my sibling coming towards me who had mm-hmm. passed over, so mm-hmm. one living and one non-living, mm-hmm. 
And I was 14 years old. So my thinking was, it's a little unusual. What are you doing here? Yeah. And then I heard this voice clear as day, a male voice right here that just said, Nicole, remember to breathe. And with that, something kind of kicked in, I think, in my, you know, command center. Yeah. Here. And I remember I was supposed to curl up like a ball because I had a life jacket on. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And I popped up like a cork to the top. And that was that. And I mean, no one was sitting there with a watch counting, but um, mm. apparently I was down somewhere between one to two minutes. They wow. think, I think, mm. they think. And um we were just glad at the end of the day that we were alive. We made it back. We mm. didn't get um, the police looking through our bags and finding a carton of cigarettes that we'd smuggled as teenagers. You know, I mean, that was we were kids, right? <laughs> so I just left it at that. That was that experience. Mm. And, um, and I just carried on with my life. And, mm. and little was I to know that that one experience um, would carry on and still carries on to this day to really help pave the way. Um, yeah. how I operate I, I found it so fascinating like even though I heard the story for the second time now like I'm sitting on itch and going like what's next what's next you know I'm like my heart's pounding I'm having goosebumps <laughs> just listening to you and I know that uh, this is part of what you said before you know that you are not the only person obviously who had near-death experiences yet once one person speaks up it gives others the courage to go like oh my god it wasn't just me I'm not going mental here like this is actually a true thing and obviously nowadays people speak more and more openly about these things and it is a very well-known factor that there are hundreds thousands hundred thousand probably of people out there who have had near-death experiences yet it really takes courage to speak up about it because you do go through this stage especially when you're 14 where like you know am I mental am am I going nuts what was happening here but at the same time you know this is so real you have seen what you have seen so Tell us a little bit about how you went with that experience. Did you ever tell anyone or how long did it take you to open up about it? Because obviously now you do talk about it. So um, what did you do with the experience after that? It's funny, you know, I can't recall and I've tried to recall, but I don't know when I first started talking about Mm. it. It was just such a normal part. Um, So something interesting with near-death experiences, those who have them as kids are quite different to those who have them as as adults. Because as an adult, we kind of have these mental frameworks, these paradigms Mm -hmm. already in place of this is how the world operates. Mm -hmm. And if I have an experience that is radically outside of that, then my paradigm has shifted and I have to reconcile that as an adult. Mm -hmm. As a kid though, which is what happened to me because I had this experience and I should pre-frame that with, I also had a very open family in terms of they were just mentally, spiritually open as well. Yeah. So um, that really helps. <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, so there was nothing abnormal about it. And so as a kid, mm. when you have one of these types of experiences, and it doesn't have to be as dramatic as a near death, but even, mm. you know, some some pretty profound experiences yeah. like that are non-ordinary. Mm. As a child, because we don't have such strong paradigms and frameworks set mm. up, they can just be incorporated much We're more so easily. much more open to it yeah so much because kids are yeah. open right yeah. I mean yeah those of us who have hung around the little ones I mean they just come into the world open and mm. magical so and as as we age we lose that right we, yeah. we move away from that so I think it happened to me still in that open framework where I didn't question it it just was 
it, it happened and so I didn't feel like I needed to reconcile it in in any way that it was unusual mm -hmm. and it was only until you know through my 20s I I was very drawn to um, ashrams and meditation mm -hmm. and yoga that kind mm -hmm. of pathway and I had these kind of I realized through experiences that I actually had a very open third eye center I have mm -hmm. a very strong visionary field mm -hmm. and again we all operate assuming that everyone sees the world as we do, right? Until yeah. we learn that that's not yeah. the truth. Yeah. And so I just assumed that everyone was having these experiences. And so <laughs> it was when I was sharing I a lot it. of those, yeah, we'd yeah. sit in meditation and I'd be going on these, you know, we'd sit in half an hour meditation or one hour and I'd just go on these wild <laughs> adventures and we'd come back and share and other people would be like, oh, I felt, you know, warm and tingly and nice and mm. oh, I feel very calm. And I was like, really i i went here and there and i saw mm -hmm. this and so after doing that several times i just started to learn oh okay that's a little bit different and mm. this will be common to anyone who's had some kind of out there experiences there comes a point when you start to discern where do i share this and when yeah. where do i not right and mm -hmm. often in our excitement we, we just want to share it and shout it from the rooftops in the beginning but it's not always going to be received mm. and people aren't ready to hear and so um, I think it was through my own journey of evolving and carrying on that it just this, I started to look back on when were other times that I'd mm -hmm. had significant moments and that one yeah. continues to pop up. There have been many others, mm -hmm. but that one continues to pop up as probably the biggest first one yeah. that had occurred. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of see life as this ongoing integration. <laughs> <laughs> it's so beautiful. I really love that because I, I have to say, I understand what you're saying. I really do. But I find it such a shame that um, we tend to have to, I, I, lose the, I, I don't like using the term have to uh, quite frequently, but in that case, I kind of find it suitable to say we kind of have to put labels on things or, or filters, I should say, not labels, filters on things, how and when we share them and with whom, because it's it's such an um we have to understand that so many people have got completely different upbringings and completely different understandings and also pathways to uh spirituality and there are so many cultural differences as well how people are brought up and um I was brought up in a quite strict Catholic family, you know, for me, opening my heart and my eyes and my mind to spirituality was uh, quite a daring journey for me. And yet again, I didn't find it that daring because I was always like, I was born like that, you know, I was like inquisitive and wanting to know and wanting to learn and wanting to connect and wanting to experience. And I was always out there and uh, my mom always called me a gypsy because I was constantly on a journey, you know, I, I always mm -hmm. wanted to stay at places and go places and experience things and I did I never let anything stop me yet I also had to learn you know who to share things with and what to share with them to not you know be completely labeled as a nut job so to say I shouldn't yeah it, it's quite negative when I say it that way but you know what I mean it's like the, the whole journey through spirituality has brought me um, through very different uh, cultures religions beliefs and spiritual beliefs and I was always very, very open to it. And I, I don't even want to say that I was like picking and choosing, oh, I like this and I like that and I don't. And it's like, you know, make up your mind sort of thing. No, I don't. It's an ongoing journey of discovering. And mm -hmm. I just absolutely love that because when you keep your mind open, this is when you meet the most beautiful people. And, and this is how I met you. So I really, really love that. 
um, would you like to share a couple of those other experiences before we go Absolutely. on to the other really, really significant one? Sure. And, and you know, what I'm reminded of, because, you know, in, in, in your conversation with your tribe as well and around grief is that these are parallel conversations, yeah. um, you know, in terms of who do you share? When do you share? Yeah. How do you share? Do you share? Yeah. You know, there are moments <laughs> on the journey, right? Yeah. And you have to discern. So exactly the same thing. Um, so a couple of others, um, when I was about 30, I'll, I'll give you two more that are kind of relevant, mm. um, like a trinity, these three. Yeah. So another one happened uh, about my 30s. I had a healing center at this point. I, you know, was into, I was counseling and doing all of these kind of alternative things. Mm. But I realized I didn't enjoy the business aspect. I love people. Yeah. I love their journeys, their stories, but not the business. Mm. And so I shut it down. And it was a big decision. So as I shut down these things in my outside world, it actually triggered an inward event of shutting parts of my identity down as well. And I liken it to peeling the onion. So I had this spontaneous mm -hmm. um, three days on a sofa mm -hmm. and um, I was in and out of ordinary and non-ordinary states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Consciousness. I had not taken any medication, hallucinogenics, mm -hmm. nada, mm -hmm. nada. I was mm -hmm. just spontaneously in and out. And uh, with a very high fever. So, you know, maybe I was slightly delirious is how it would have looked from the outside, mm -hmm. right? But what was happening in my consciousness is it was taking me on a journey of clearing and healing. Mm. And it was peeling these layers of onion where each one of those was a, a piece that I had identified with at some point. It had given me strength and structure. But in that moment, it was no longer needed. And so they were being peeled away and each of them related to parts of me and my own story as well. And you, you would know this through the body of, of through the journey of grief, mm. our bodies hold everything. Our bodies yeah. have a memory of all of it from the mm. moment of conception throughout yeah. our cells retain this memory. Yeah. And so if we don't process stuff like grief, like big transformative experiences, if we don't move through that stuff that has happened, it just gets lodged somewhere in the body and our body is so wise and generous. It just holds it until we're ready for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this was a moment, these three days where my body was ready. My psyche was just ready to process it. Mm -hmm. So it went through this thing and it just peeled through the layers of the onions. And it was very kind of shamanic in flavor. I went down, I met my ancestors and, mm. you know, healed some things that was in my cultural DNA in terms of unresolved business in our family and stuff that had, you know, rippled through the generations mm. as it does. Yeah. And, um, and then some of the wounds that had happened in my own past incidences as a child that, you know, I didn't realize how much they had scarred and wounded me, but they needed to be mm. healed as well. So all of these pieces, traumas, got healed spontaneously. And at the end of that, when it came to the very, very core, I started freaking out a little bit at this point, mind you, mm. because again, it's identity being stripped away. And so yeah. this, this force in the process you know, I was holding on to my name is Nicole. And it was like, that gets ripped away. Okay. Mm -hmm. I am a girl on a couch mm -hmm. that gets ripped away until there was nothing left, but a tiny, tiny pinprick of light, like the wow. tiniest pinprick of light. Wow. That was it. And I knew in that moment, I understood that this is all I am. This is all I am. This is all I ever was. This is all I ever will be this. This is yeah. it. 
And everything external to this or in addition to this is a game that I get to participate in and create. You know, life is, is symbols and structures and, and patterns that we then get to construct because we're very clever and mm. creative as human beings. And so we, we get to participate in it. And life for me changed after that point. That was, that was like one of those big life aha moments mm. of, okay, this is how it all works. So now how do I want to choose to operate in the world? How do I want to choose to navigate it, have Mm. relationships with people? What do I want to do? Um, So that was beautiful to, it was, it was painful and ugly and beautiful all at the same time. And then to What a tremendous gift though. What a tremendous gift to be, you know, stripped bare basically to literally, um, I wanted to say the speck of your soul, but that would really, um, minimize what your soul actually is but you know to really uh have that gift of new perspective about what's actually there essential within us you know and what we are made of and it's just really beautiful so yeah how do you integrate that that's right that's right and so integration for me really looked like okay I have a knowing now and day by day I get to walk forward with Mm -hmm. that knowing and experiment now out in the world and see what happens from here so um so that has continued (laughs) to be the story till this day I guess and Mm -hmm. those of your listeners Marie that have had an experience like that I'm sure will be going oh yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) you know I get that yeah um and then the second one um that well the third in the trilogy was quite recent actually so when I birthed my baby girl almost three Mm -hmm. years ago now and I had a revisitation of that same horizon of light. Um, so yeah. we were in a birthing suite after 90, 90 hours mm-hmm. of labor. And I'm, I'm a pretty natural girl. So I was being mm-hmm. incredibly stubborn and I just wanted to yeah. do this thing naturally. Yeah. And, um, and that ended up getting us in a lot of trouble because mm-hmm. 90 hours in, we weren't in a good scenario. Yeah. And so there was a medical intervention and they put me on the happy gas and that stuff was the best thing. That's the best thing ever invented. I tell you what, I'm so grateful to the happy gas person. I had it with my first birth. I loved it. Oh my, they couldn't take the thing back off me again. (laughs) And um, that, it must've been something about the happy gas that triggered the, Mm. that that amidst, you know, 90 hours and not sleeping and all the rest going on, but all of those factors combined in that moment, one part of my consciousness was in the birthing suite with the chaos of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And another part of my consciousness was revisiting that exact same horizon of light that I had mm-hmm. seen underwater. Um, only this time, of course, would how many years later, many years later, I knew where I was this time. I had mm-hmm. language for it. Yeah. And I actually could verbalize and, and tell my family, I think I'm having a near death experience and one of us might not make it. And one of us mm-hmm. meaning either my daughter or myself. I'm having goosebumps all over my, my body when you say that. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. And I oh. look back at it. I'm like, gosh, my poor family. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. for me, it was just so clear that this is what I need to say at the time. Right. Yeah. But heavens what were they thinking right yeah and um and bless the hospital staff that must hear all of these strange and wild things all the time and what you know the way they have to process it (laughs) um anyway good news is both of us survived it Mm. and um but an interesting thing happened in that experience where as crazy as it all was that knowing part of me that that greater part knew that everything was absolutely perfect Mm. absolutely perfect and that's really hard to say if you Mm. don't 
for someone who's never had that kind of an experience or perspective to hear, what are you talking about? That's yeah. 90 hours and, you know, blah, 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 yeah. blah. Yeah, that seems pretty weird. But there was a part that just knew this is exactly how it was supposed to be. Mm. And I could see my own struggling and frustration through all of that and my own ideas of how it was supposed to be. Mm. And that greater part of me was in hysterics. It just thought it was the funniest thing <laughs> that all of this drama was playing out when it was actually yeah. always so perfect. Yeah. And that was so healing for me because any, you know, that would be labeled a traumatic birth, what happened at the mm. hospital and we had an emergency cesarean and, you know, um, that's not how it's meant to go. The story's meant to go. And there are so many mamas and dads who walk out of hospital highly traumatized by mm. the experience, which yeah. is really not, how, you know, anyway, that's a whole other problem. Yeah. But I was so grateful because already knowing traumatized mamas and that experience otherwise should be categorized as traumatic mm. because I had had that moment of pure grace mm. that had caused me to laugh on the inside and known it was perfect. I just walked out of that hospital light as a kite with pure gratitude. Wow. You know, and I was like, that was exactly how it was meant to be. Yeah. All I have to do is heal. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, and, and so I feel blessed. I feel yeah. really blessed by these types of experiences that just mm -hmm. let me know it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Again, what a blessing, actually, you know, that part of your consciousness was so in this state of everything is perfect, you know, everything is exactly how it's meant to be because it gives you such a calming background and it, you know what more support can you get throughout labor especially when everybody else around you is going so mental and really um you know there's all this hectic and panic happening in hospital staff and not knowing uh who's going to survive or not especially after what you verbalized but then you being there completely calm on the inside because you know this is all part of the picture this is all part of your journey and it's all perfect as it is this is such a blessing in um, admits all this chaos because you know for me I remember like I, I had the happy gas with my first one because I I'm going to share this experience just very quickly because I just absolutely love how, how these things unfold in hospital and my very first one I had a three hour 45 minute labor so which is for a first one as most mums know really really short and um, when I got there they wanted to send me back home because they said you're only one centimeter dilated go home and come back in 10 hours and I'm like no 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 you don't understand I'm not going anywhere this is this is it you know it took me so long to get here on a 10 minute drive but it felt forever for me because <laughs> <laughs> my poor husband at the time he had to stop the car with every contraction and I was like stop <laughs> the car <laughs> I, like, I just needed peace and quiet around me to breathe and it was so funny but yeah I um I dilated so quickly, like within one and a half hours, I dilated to 10 centimeters where they said it would take me nine to 10 hours. And because of that mindset, them telling me, oh, you know, first birth, it's usually a centimeter an hour. I had this vision of me having to endure that for nine to 10 hours. But little did I know I was ready to birth. That's why it got so intense. And I thought this intensity, I can't cope with that for nine to 10 hours. So uh -uh, the baby's coming and they were all like, what, what, how? This is just so quick. And um and by that stage, I was in complete bliss state because I knew as soon as she said to me the baby was coming, I switched back to, oh, this is perfect, you know, 
this is why it's so intense. I can handle this. I went from, there's no way I can handle this to I can handle this. So it's really amazing how mindset does such a huge amount for us in that scenario that I went from complete, I can't do this, I need an epidural to ha ha ha, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, as soon as the obstetrician walked in, I was like, I'm going to have a baby. He's like, oh, thank goodness I'm here. You know, it was midnight. They had to call him and wake him up. So it was quite hilarious, actually. So, yeah. It turned into a really, really good birth experience for me, luckily, because, you know, I went from this not knowing first time, but something inside of me told me, trust your gut instinct. And I knew there's no way I'm going back home. This baby is coming. You know, Beautiful. you can tell me whatever you want. I'm staying here. I just trusted my gut instinct. And this whole scenario became really the most magical experience for me being part of creation you know I was so blown away it's like oh my god this is I just I just made this little baby you know it's like with a little help of my husband of course but <laughs> so I, I did this <laughs> so yeah absolutely magical so have you ever talked to your family after that experience how they went through that they must have gone through so much panic you telling them one of us might not make it yet probably trying on the outside to stay calm for you and to keep it all together but um how do you want to share that have you yeah yeah well I think because that was still at the early stages we were still yet to go through the you know actual epidural and um um all the rest the cesarean Mm -hmm. and so it just became even more dramatic after that so Um, yeah, we've, we've certainly spoken and had processing around what has happened. And, um, I think the elation of new life coming into the world kind of overrides in many ways, the traumas of the moment. Um, but I, you know, I think it's helpful still to revisit every now and then, um, those types of conversations Mm. and, um, yeah, we've touched on it. We've certainly touched on it. Yeah. Um, and again, like grief, you know, you, you, over time, things shift mm. and you're able to have different layers of a conversation. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, yeah. That's so beautiful. I never thought about it that way. That is so true. Yeah, it, it really does go into different layers. And, and I revisit a lot of things, you know, from, um, from my experiences but in particular my husband because he's the most recent one it's uh, coming up to two years next friday actually so um it was only two nights ago that my now 10 year old had another really big uh, cry about him and it, it was quite some time since he had this last really big cry and and we went through so many layers of that day like when he last saw his dad and he had not opened up about that to me um, in such depth before and we both laid in his bed crying our eyes out about it it was so beautiful but because it was so beautiful for me and the tears were mainly for me because I could feel his pain and you know as a mom nothing tears your heart apart more than when you see your little one in pain and you can't help them and I knew that all I could do was listen to him and hold space for him and I thanked him for sharing his emotions with me because it's something that doesn't come easy to him he is always like he wants everybody to be happy so when it's something negative or painful he doesn't want to talk about it and um sometimes it would you know build up for months before he comes out with it but he actually shared with me he said you know the dad uh the day we walked to the station and I knew exactly what day he meant because it was the the last day he saw his dad when we walked him to the station and he was um catching a train to the airport to fly out on a business trip and I said yes and he said 
you know, mom, I knew that day that something really bad was about to happen. I could feel it and I wanted to hold daddy back. I wanted, I didn't want to let him go on the train and he cried and cried. And I was like, oh my God, he had never shared that with me before. And fact is that I felt something was different as well. And also my older son was crying and he never cried when my husband left, you know, he was the strong one. And he, you know, um, not that he didn't enjoy when my husband was away at all, but he was never like that you know and my little one was always crying so but something was different that day we could all feel it and nobody actually really spoke about it till he opened up about it two days ago you know almost two years later and um so that's that's just the fact you know the the coming back through different layers once you start processing things and once you um let those huge waves die down a bit and then you can actually go a little bit deeper into it so i find that really really beautiful hey this is just a quick break if you're enjoying this podcast think of one person that you'd love to share this with thank you i want to ask you how old is your daughter now is she three you said almost three Wow, wow. When is her birthday coming? Well, you might not want to yeah. share those details on well, Facebook. Soon. That's fine. I'm, I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> soon. But um, what I would love to know is um, tell us a little bit about your group. How, when, what triggered it? What triggered you to start this movement? Because I really love what you do in this group. And, and as I said, you know, one of the comments was about um, that near-death experience and also about different cultures so I want to go into that cultural background a little bit more as well but tell us about your group first what made you what triggered it what what planted a seed for you to go like I need to start a tribe here a movement or whatever yeah you so um so it's called agents of awesome and the term came up spontaneously when mm-hmm. um I was talking with a group of people who have had these you know extraordinary or super ordinary however you want to call it experiences yeah. these groups experiences and um a a frequent conversation we have is gifts that come out of that and then how you apply those in the world you know when you have a transformation by nature of the word you are changed in some Mm. way and usually change for the better and what mostly happens to folks like that is they then want to help others on their journey right regardless of what the transformation was they come to a point of Oh, well, I just went through all of that. I made it through the shit. I'm okay now. I mm. survived it. And I actually know that I've come out of that with tools that maybe mm. it can help one person, yeah. maybe it can help a million, you know. Yeah. So I wanna mm. I wanna lead forward. So it was within that realm of a conversation that the words agents of awesome just popped out. Yeah. And the folks that I was talking with, they were like, Yeah, yeah, <laughs> agents of awesome, yeah. And I was like, Yeah, that's a great name. We found it. We found it. Mm. So that's where it started. And mm. um, and and when I understood the tribe, you know, that that this whole idea of building a community around a cause, um, you know, that really spoke to me. And yeah. The big reason for me is because I know folks who have had these experiences, one of the biggest areas they suffer with is a lack of validation. Mm. So often people will be, yeah, they will be fearful to tell others. um, Again, whether they end up with some kind of a psychiatric um, diagnosis. Yeah, it comes back to the labeling by society. Yeah, that's right. You know, and and first people might question themselves and go, am I, am I going mad? You know, Mm. like this is not, this is not how I normally operate. My mind is not right. Or, 
or, or is it? Because yeah. I've actually never seen or thought more clearly before. What is it? Who said that? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, what's going on? So yeah. there's that initial thing. And then there's the next layer of fear, which is other people around me that are close to me that I love, mm. are they going to think I'm nuts? Mm. And if they do, will they ostracize me? So that's yeah. a really sensitive layer. Yeah. And then there's the greater societal piece, right? Is society going to think I'm not? So once we get over the validation piece of, you know, you're having these experiences, it doesn't mean that you're going crazy. It means that there are openings that are taking place that are transforming the way that mm-hmm. you see and view the world and you're, you're literally expanding in your consciousness. Yeah. Um, so naturally that's going to challenge closed parts of our consciousness that are freaking out about opening up. So the validation piece, and there's all of these other components, you know, that these so-called agents of awesome have Mm -hmm. to deal with before they even get to the place of knowing why am I here on this planet? How do I want to use my time? What is the nature of the relationships that I want to have with people? Mm -hmm. What kind of presence do I want to be on the planet? Um, And how can I help? Here I am on earth, (laughs) right? I'm I'm here for service, you know, Mm -hmm. checking in. So before we even get to that, there's all of these other pieces, particularly depending on the type of experience someone's had. The the world of spirituality is so often painted in this kind of love and light and woo-woo fairy, you know, fairy tales, unicorns, whatever. It's, It's not, you know. There are highly distressing experiences that happen within it. And this is where the journey of spirituality, you know, people will be familiar with like the dark night of the soul. That's a spiritual crisis. Mm. So um, not to say that all spiritual experiences are dark. They're not at all, but they're often very challenging, Mm. very similar to grief and loss. You know, we are transformed profoundly these things rock us to our core Mm. they bring out this is where they're so common they highlight our values Mm -hmm. what is most important to me i love that you say that it is so true nothing like losing yeah it strips you bare to your absolute essential bare essential just the bare essentials like if if nothing else existed because that's how Mm. we feel when we lose someone close to us nothing does exist now yeah what what is keeping me here that's how like how core it gets this stuff so that's where these experiences are so similar and once you have those experiences and you connect with your core you connect with your center and you understand you understand what what it is that compels you to be here what gives your own life meaning and purpose you're wise yeah once you're connected to that that is an unshakable place Mm. that you can operate from it gives you such incredible strength to do anything in the world Mm. and that's how we get through these things right so we carry on knowing what keeps us centered and grounded and onward we go So agents of awesome are folks that are kind of anywhere on that spectrum, um, but they've had the experience and they're moving all the way through into, you know, entrepreneurship, their own pathways in the world. Often they're highly creative beings Mm. because they're, you know, they're on the edges of regular society, right? They're paradigm shifters. Um, So these are the types (laughs) of folks that are there. That's amazing. I just absolutely love that because I never heard the reason for your uh, movement in such detail. And I just really love how, how it came about. And, and what I want to add to that as well is when you, when you talk about, uh, you know, um, the core values, when you, when you really connect to them and, and you become so aware of what your core values are. And, 
you know, the more often I get asked this question and, and, and you see this question asked in various groups. Only yesterday I saw it in another group, somebody asking, what are your core values? And I went like, bang, 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 bang. There are my four top four values because this is just so, um, I'm so connected to them now. <laughs> They're such part of my daily being. Yet I also understood because I started thinking about it. I'm like, only four, really, Marie? And then I'm like, well, they're my main ones. They're really important to me. And it is love and truth and uh, growth. And I can't remember what the fourth one was now, although I only said that <laughs> yesterday. But it, it always comes back to these things and growth and love are, are one of my two um, in most important ones it's trust and truth that's why it was so similar that's why trust truth uh growth and love they're my, my four really core values but it doesn't mean that these are your only ones you have your core values and and through various experiences in your life you might keep adding to them and growing that but you might also strip back from some of them that you thought at one stage were important and i also when i read through that i started thinking yeah, but what about family? I'm like, well, family is love. There is, you know, that is completely incorporated. What else is family to me? When I look at my boys, I, it, there couldn't be any greater love than what I experience when I look at them, you know. And um, in my movement in Loving Life After Loss, I call what you've just talked about, what you've just shared, I always speak about the hidden gifts in adversity. And I, um, you know, I have my 14 day journey, my healing journey that I always invite people to come through. And one part of that, so I teach 14 different tools and techniques how people can deal with grief, how people can get different perspectives around their loss. Because at the end of the day, a huge part of the healing journey is shifting perspectives around what we have experienced and understanding it from a more positive part as in how we can grow through that what we can actually gain from that as well and I'm not running around saying like oh it's great that you lost someone what have you gained from it that you know that would be such a slap in the face when you ask people that and this is not how I address that yet a stepping stone of this healing journey is finding those hidden gifts in your adversity and I'm a huge believer that every adversity comes with hidden gifts but sometimes it takes a lot of healing or some time or a shift in perspective to allow yourself to actually see them and then even further to apply them because I always say you know you've paid a huge price for this gift you may as well apply that and that in itself is such a huge game changer for people when they have experienced such a significant loss and I always you know like I make a huge point about not comparing losses because every every journey of loss and grief is so unique just like the person experiencing it yet I feel there is another layer to when you lose your own child it is really such a depth and such a um, it feels so unnatural to lose your child before you go it's not the natural order and yet I feel at some level there is always that bigger picture and the bigger path and a journey that was pre-written but again that goes into beliefs where some people might not share that and I totally appreciate that and I don't want to force my beliefs onto anybody else and you certainly can't put this general label oh there was a reason for it on it because that doesn't work for me either you know it takes time it takes processing it takes um, allowing yourself to go on that healing journey and really find new perspectives around this loss and not everybody will get to a point where they appreciate that and I appreciate that too as in really accepting that every everybody's path 
is different. I'm not here to force anything on anybody. And I believe that you are built the exact same way. It's uh, opening doors to somebody who will need it. And those people that it speaks to, that your message speaks to, um, will come in. So I'm a true believer on encouraging and empowering people to find and speak their truth along their journey. And that is something so different for everyone, but uh, it is the most beautiful and rewarding thing. And I believe that you do very similar things in your group. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on opening doors. You know, I call it invitations. And yeah. I think that's all we beautiful. can do is, is give open doors, give invitations. And if yeah. people want to um, walk on it, adventure in it, you know, great. If yeah. not, great. Yeah not not my story not my business you know yeah. um all, all we could do is offer so absolutely yeah and you've touched a few times on or there was so much there in what you said but um I, I guess there were two important um experiences that I did also want to share with your community mm -hmm. especially around grief and loss but um I and I hadn't even mentioned it but um close to my near-death experience I also lost my father mm -hmm. within um that window yeah and um, it, it was sudden. It was on the other side of the world. I was very mm. angry at him at the time. In fact, mm. I was enraged by my father. There were substance issues. Mm. And he was a very loving man. He was always a really loving man, but he was just not present in some mm -hmm. ways. Even in any, anyone who's had someone who's gone through substances will understand this. They can be physically yeah. present, but absent yeah. in so many other ways. Yeah. And so as, as a kid, I was angry about that and him harming himself in many ways. So when he died very suddenly, mm. I was just so angry about so many things for so long. Why did mm. he do that to himself and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And that death happened within six months um, of the near-death experience as well. So it was a near-death, his death, and also within that six-month window, we lost two other family members. It was like a domino effect. And I'm mm. sure your community might have spoken about this sometimes, where yeah. sometimes when mom, one member of the family dies, yeah. others will actually grief. go. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. but others yeah. will actually die as well yeah. because yeah. of that grief. And so that happened in that family. And so. Um, that ended up being a lot of compounded grief for a teenage mm. kid to not yeah. like I had no idea how to deal with that level mm. of grief and my 20s really was pretty much a journey of unpacking grief mm. <laughs> that's yeah. one way of looking at it and what was so paramount in that journey was the passing away of my grandmother. So that same samurai grandmother yeah. that was there under the water that day has continued to be like some guardian spirit presence mm -hmm. in my life, some grand master teacher mm -hmm. that has shown me different doorways. And one of them was when she left this planet in Japan, they do it so differently to how mm. I grew up in Australia, you know, very yeah. Western way of doing things. I love that. I'm so glad you're sharing this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and in Japan, it's just so different. Mm. And so there they, um, they spend time with the body after mm. someone has passed away. So first of all, she was leaving her layers of her consciousness and her spirit were leaving her body in the hospital. And it was a prolonged process in hospital where they shouldn't have kept her as alive as long as they should have. They should have just allowed the natural cycle of a body's closure to yeah. complete. But you know what it's like in hospitals. They have yeah. a, you know, this thing to keep people alive as, yeah. as long as possible. <clears throat> so 
they tried to do that. And I was reading this incredible book at the time called The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. Mm-hmm. And in it, um, it, it explains through the elements, earth, fire, mm-hmm. um, water, air, mm-hmm. how these elements leave the physical body as someone yeah. is transitioning from this life to the next or to wherever we next go. And I was, I was reading this book and I was witnessing it happening in front of me. It was marvelous mm-hmm. to have this tool right Amazing. there. And because it was a slow process, it took about a week. And then once she passed, we brought her, her body back to the house, my Japanese family's home, a big old house with a lot of family history. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, they, they treat the body in, in a way yeah. where you can yeah. you know, keep it. But we actually slept in the same room. So this is my mother's mother. Mm-hmm. Me, my mum and my mum's mum were all in the same room. So yeah. we were sleeping there with the body. And I tell you, as a, as a, as a kid that had grown up in the West, I had this element where I was pretty freaked out by this. Yeah. I found it strange. So you were only 14 at the time? I was, later. No, I was in my 20s by okay, that yep. point. I can't remember where where in there, but somewhere in my 20s. And it, ju- it just seemed strange to me, like, hey, there's my grandma right over there, and we're going to sleep right over there on the, yeah. on the mattresses on the ground. Mm. And yet over the week-long experience where her body was there and they kept treating it and over that week they put it in a coffin and they do different ceremonial ritualistic Mm. things that are highly symbolic of the journey, we were able to sleep in that room, dream in the same space together. We had an altar with all the ancestors as every Japanese house Mm. does. So that was the room of the ancestors. And it, it just gave me this appreciation that there was something way bigger going on that was beyond my comprehension, but that that was important. And this is just the way that it's done. Yeah. And people from the village um, and the surrounds had the opportunity to come and give thanks. We had strangers rocking up who the family had never met, but they knew my grandmother and mm-hmm. they needed to say thank you. Oh, beautiful. It was incredible. Yeah. And, you know, family got together and had feast and it's like, and there's the, the body in the in the casket you know now again that might sound really strange to the western ear although there are some traditions Mm. even in the west where they do this they understand this and so it it totally for someone who had had so much compounded grief for years and not understood how that does things in terms of packing on emotions packing on thoughts packing on weight it just packs stuff on the right to then have this experience of, wow, this is such a healthy way to say goodbye. Yeah. It's such a healthy way to grieve. It's so beautiful too. It was incredible. It's so respectful and, and so, so loving. Loving mm-hmm. and honouring and so delicate of every mm-hmm. single step. And even then when they cremated her body, mm-hmm. they have this way where they have these very long special chopsticks that they use and they pick out these pieces and apparently when you cremate a body, there's this one bone that doesn't, um, it doesn't disintegrate mm-hmm. out of everything else. And it's shaped like a little Buddha, like a little, like a little prayer. Really? And everybody wow. has it somewhere in their body. I think it's somewhere in the skull. Wow. And they pick that out and they put that right on top of all the rest of the ashes because that's part of their sacred thing. And so just all I never things, knew that. Yeah, either did I, right? You wow. don't know until you go through it. And all of these huh. very respectful ways of of honoring and saying goodbye and when I've come back to the west and I've attended other funerals since I've actually been quite saddened that of how abrupt it is in Mm. in our western world it's very you have to say goodbye it's very clinical 
cold mm. and clinical say goodbye mm. you have a quick moment where maybe there's a viewing maybe there's a not yeah. everyone comes together everyone says goodbye very fast yeah and then it's like you never see you don't see the body and yeah. you don't spend time with it in between mm. and it's like that that is the vehicle that was housing our loved one you know mm. so that kind of has has saddened me in some ways and I would love if we could you know like in India they take it and they go down to the you know they burn it right down by the river and mm. it's so natural mm. it's so natural and I really feel that we have lost in many ways our natural connection to yeah. the cycle of life and yeah. that cycle is a cycle there are points yeah. that we need to acknowledge yeah. and be with and I get that they're painful Mm. you know but as we can acknowledge them whether it be death near death you know mm. um shared death as we can be with those we we have a deeper and richer experience of all the rest of the stuff of yeah. life of birth of yeah. relationship of love it just and it brings a lot more it. peace as well because i believe that with everything in our in our day society it, like everything is built to uh, you know, be fast and efficient and now and quicker and faster and bigger and, uh, you know, or smaller when it comes to technology, <laughs> whatever, you know, and it's just um, everything is just more and more efficient and fast. And for me, you know, when this whole COVID-19 thing hit us, it was like such a well, it sounds terrible to say that because I know there was a lot of death and devastation as well. But the one thing, the one really good thing that came with it was this global slowing down and you know that everybody needed so badly because I remember so vividly only a couple of months before this whole thing started and and became you know the global news and that everybody talked about I had this um really present thought I remember I was actually standing here in my bedroom I had this present thought of this is just so weird. The whole world is so fast. Something's going to explode in a second if that doesn't slow down. And I thought, how on earth could this ever slow down? Something that has developed, developed um, so, so fast, there is no slowing down anymore. You can't go backwards from that. You can't take cars away from people and go like, go back on your bicycle or go back on your horse or, you know, that it's just impossible. You're not going to start ripping down highways or taking down the internet or things like that. Everything that's just so um, way too fast for my liking. And I think for a lot of other people's liking as well, but you have become so accustomed to it and have so accepted it as what is that you don't or feel like you can't question it anymore yet I had this really profound and very clear thought about it and then a couple of months later that happened and I'm like oh my god that's the answer to it and yes it does come with a lot of the devastation as well excuse me but it has brought so much goodness as well I feel it has really brought so much awareness back to us to what's really essential what's really important to us and and this really intense need for love and connection was really highlighted in that time too you know when people started talking about social distancing and I'm like it's not social distancing it's physical distancing that we need but it has brought so much mm. social connection in that I did a whole chat to um, Emily May about that our positive psychologist but we, we're coming completely off topic here but really I wanted to bring <laughs> that in because it's just such a such a profound thing that happens nowadays with awareness and slowing down and when you shared this cultural experience with me I thought this is so beautiful this is how it's supposed to be taking time for something that is so profound which is the last 
uh, journey on like the last physical journey on this earth you know to actually honor that and celebrate that and do that in a nurturing caring and really honoring way i love that so yeah because we, so we do we rush to be part of that yeah we rush grief and, and, and then we like, wonder why people struggle so much with coming yeah. to terms with it and moving forward you know that's right and people feel like they can't talk about it like yeah. oh it's okay it's been a yeah. year now so yeah. therefore you've got to be done you know no, you're done. that's right well, whatever you're done that breathing, means. move back to work and do this and i'm like yeah whatever yeah. that means you know and and i you know with my father i mean i was 14 mm. when i lost him i still grieve my father mm. i still would love him to be around yeah. you know that was a long yeah. time ago and we have a different kind of relationship now yeah. but mm. it, it doesn't replace a physical loss nothing yeah. ever does and no. so it's okay to have different layers yeah. of that over time and screw no, anyone that puts a timeline on it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll take as long as i damn well want yeah. thank you very yeah. much this is my life <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i hear you loud and clear it's um, been 28 years for me since i lost my dad and i still have my moments i was 20 when he passed so showing my age here but uh it was really something that kept coming back to me over the years when you know you go through the layers and you you grieve through your layers uh but a when my dad passed i was so not equipped with anything that i'm equipped with now i had no background in um self-development i had no background in uh mindset you know how you can cope with that i had no tools i had all i had was society's expectations of how you're supposed to uh grieve and deal with it and um, also because I was an adult with 20 you're like you know you those last couple of steps away from really feeling like an adult really having your mm. life together and um, to me those were these crucial years where I really wanted my dad to be around because I just loved him I had a really really strong connection with my dad I had a really loving relationship with him so for me that was horrendous to lose him so abruptly um yeah, he died within a month. So it was really like, you know, the cancer came back that he had survived and within a month he was gone. It was just so fast, you know, there was no uh, time to say goodbye, really. I missed that as well. So I, I really um, struggled with that for many, many years that I left not knowing that that was the last time. I, I felt cheated for the chance to say goodbye to him. And then when I lost my husband, I was 45. So it was such a different age and I had such a different background. And I say this to, the, to, the day, to this day, that if I hadn't had my background in working with people around mindset for a decade, um, I don't know how I would have coped. I learned so many different ways of coping with it. And I thought this is my chance to really apply them in a way that I so need this right now for myself, for my boys. I wanted to, I knew instantly my focus was I want to create a happy life for us, no matter what, no matter how I need to do this. I want to do this. And I also felt I owe it to him because we always said, you know, if something was to happen to us, I would want you to be happy. I would want you to carry on with love. I want you to live life to the fullest. We always said that to each other because we loved each other dearly. So that's what you want naturally for someone you love. And none of us thought that this would be ever happening you know this is like not that we didn't mean it but we still thought that was theory that we talked about you know um yeah anyway so i totally get that it comes back in layers the, the grief 
for although I was 20 and you were 14, my boys were eight and 10 when they lost their dad, you know, they were not even combined where they're as old as I was when I lost him. So there's so many different layers that you feel like there are all these milestones. And for me, the milestones were the ones that got me when I saw, you know, when I gave, like when I met my husband, when I gave birth to my boys, I always went like, I wish that I could be here and see them and meet them. And, you know, so yeah, I totally get that. And I think there is, mm no time frame to how you grieve or what you should do but I also want to mention here and I'd love to hear your opinion on that I so often hear when people say oh grief never ends and I don't believe in that either I I don't see it as an ongoing you have lost someone now you will have to grieve forever and this hall will be there forever I don't believe in that and I don't mean it in a disrespectful way I just believe that um, things like that come in waves and I don't see it as an ongoing um, grieving process per se as people see it as something negative, some sadness that is always underlying and it's always there. I don't see it as such. I feel like there are moments where it comes back. It's like moments of happiness, moments of sadness and there are so many different emotions that come into our lives and some of them hang around for longer and others don't. So I'd love to hear what you think of that whole statement of grief lasts yeah. forever and never leaves us. I, how do you e- emotions, that? emotions is where I was going to go also, you know, and I think waves yeah. is a really great way of describing that e- emotions by their definition, are, you know, energy in motion. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so grief is one of this multitude of emotions mm-hmm. that we humans are able to experience yeah. and so naturally in in you know at the outset when we lose someone or not even someone i mean when something happens that we grieve because there's many layers to grief mm. um and many times when we can grieve the waves are, that's when the tsunamis come right and mm. we feel like we're going to drown and we can't breathe and how am i ever going to make mm. it through this yeah but they don't sustain in the same way. Um, And so, but again, everyone's experience is going to be really, really different of that. Mm. And so maybe for some, those sustained periods are going to be a a lot longer and more intense. What I've generally found is over time, things, things, you know, like the waves in the ocean, they start from the tsunamis, but they, they gradually go out. Um, do they ever totally taper off and they're not there? Well, again, that's each person's experience. You're going to have to check in with yourself about that. But what happens is all these other emotions, we have the capacity still to experience them. So once the big tsunami ones, in this case is grief, have started to subside, we're reminded that there are other waves in Mm. this ocean that we can also experience. And so that can be a really weird and refreshing moment when we start to have a different emotion mm-hmm. than pure raw grief through a grieving experience. And of course, there are other layers associated with that, you know, feeling guilty for being mm-hmm. happy or smiling. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's very complicated, um, but this is the nature of energy in motion. And so I really just see it all as energy in motion. We can honor all of it. None of it's right. None of it's wrong. It's mm-hmm. just this, we are energetic beings right we Mm. are water beings most of what our our element is is water as well and so we have this capacity to be with the flux and the flow of Mm. these things and that that is perfectly okay 
yeah. perfectly okay. It might look really strange from the outside to different people. And I know folks who have been criticized for not grieving because they, they look like they're not grieving on the outside when they've, say, lost a child. Mm. And it's like, you have no idea what's going on inside that person. None. Mm. Just because they don't, they don't have the tears. They don't look like they're grieving. Yeah. Um, you have no idea. And so all of us will have those energetic forms in motion in different ways in different times and patterns and complexes Mm -hmm. over our time and so I can't give a clear answer on does grief ever disappear Mm. I I I really I like that way that you describe as as Mm. waves you know sometimes they're bigger sometimes they're smaller yeah in this infinite ocean that we are. <laughs> I Nicole, I only just realized we are already way over time, not way, but a few minutes over. However, I still want to ask you one more thing. Yes. I'd love for you to share a little bit about your book. I happen to have one here. Oh, you do. Woohoo. Uh, so the power <laughs> of notes. Notes is an acronym for non-ordinary transcendent experiences. Um yeah, and so mm. it's about how they transform the way we live, mm-hmm. love, and lead. Mm. Um, in essence, it is what we were talking about with the Agents of Awesome journey, mm. what we're talking about here too today through grief, these transformative experiences that we have that rock us to our core. Mm. And as a result of that, once we process and move through them, they shift how we operate in the world, how we live, how we love, how mm. we lead. Um, And that's a beautiful thing because by honoring those in how we move forward, it's, it's very respectful to what has actually happened in our life. We're not burying it away. We're not, you know, kind of just turning a new chapter in our lives and getting on with something different. We're saying that happened to Mm. me. That was profound. Mm. And I want to take that and, and consciously integrate it into how I move forward in the world so that I'm a better person to yeah. be a better person on this planet. Um, so in a nutshell, the book kind of addresses that. You can get it for free. We'll put the link up and, and folks can oh. download the book for free um, as well. You're as so beautiful. Free. Thank you so much for that. Well, we've got to get on with it. We've got to get on with it. You know, like, let's not waste time. It's America yeah. literally burning. I mean, mm. this world is burning yeah. in so many ways. Let's not waste time, folks. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that you say that. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Nicole, I want to thank you so much for your presence, for your gifts that you have shared with us here today. And what I would love for you to do is um, when we finish this interview, I'd love for you to go back and share your links in the comments, how people get in touch with you, if they want to connect with you, uh, please feel free to share the link to your group as well. If people feel drawn to that so they can uh, share and, and come into your group and share their stories with you. And uh, I, I want to thank you for the gift of the link to your free book, uh, that you're giving that away for free to my community. I really, really love that. That is beautiful. Thank you so much for your presence today. And uh, do you want to share any final words, any final messages with the audience before we go? Just a thank you right back at you, Marie. I love what you're doing. I you. think holding space for this kind of conversation is so important because, yeah. again, it, 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 there's no timeline. Um, and yeah. these, these, it's important to just have these moments where we can tap right in again to those yeah. parts that are important to us. 
Yeah. And so um, I'm just cheering you and your group on all the way. Here. Like, it's fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. And I also want to uh, put a little uh, disclaimer here at the end of this interview, because I also totally understand that uh, everyone's beliefs are very, very different. So I just invite you to really think this through with an open heart and open mind. And I, um, I'm also aware that today I didn't have my phone on me. Usually I check if there's any comments or questions during the interview, which I didn't do today because I started the interview and realized I left it in my car and I didn't want to run back. So I we'll thought get to the that's comments. fine. Uh, we <laughs> will check the comments. So if there's any questions uh, for the interview later on, Nicole and I will both be checking in. So I just want to say thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, everybody, for listening and being with us. And a bit of fond farewell. Bye. Bye for now. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed the show and you would like to find out more about loving life after loss, please visit mariealessi.com. I shall see you next week. Bye.